You're listening to the Padawan Perspective Podcast, a multi-generational Star Wars experience. Brought to you by the Star Wars Report 2nd Airborne Division Podcast Network. With your hosts, Mark, Barrett, Taylor, and Farrow. Join us as we discuss the Rebels TV show on Disney XD, as well as Star Wars fandom across the galaxy. Podcast of the Star Wars Report Second Airport Podcast Division. And welcome to the Padawan Perspective, episode number three. And we're back to talk a couple episodes this time. Let me introduce our host. I am Barrett. I am here with my son, Pharaoh, Master Zanite. Hello. And we have Mark and Tay and Gavin. This time, a full house. Hey, everybody. Nice to have uh, everybody in the room again, have the whole family. Hey, guys. Hi. And we're here to talk a couple episodes today, correct? We're going to maybe adjust the format a little bit, watch a couple episodes, then talk about both of them. Although, these are a couple episodes that would warrant their own full-length episode, but we're going to try to cram it into one. This episode is titled The Antilles Extraction, which is episode 3 from season 3 of Rebels. The official description reads, Sabine goes undercover as a cadet in the Empire's Elite Flight Academy to help break out several young pilots wanting to defect the Rebellion. So, the title, once again, does not really explain too much. I mean, this is a big, big episode, right? It's got Wedge. We all know Wedge. We all love Wedge. See, I think it. I think it says exactly what you're gonna get. I mean, I think the thing that really threw me off was I wasn't expecting Wedge to have an Imperial background. You know, I, I've always been the Legends guy, so I'm used to him coming along after his girlfriend uh, Mala or Mara, like that, uh, when she was killed by Imperials. So he took a different role in this, which was kind of interesting because typically in Legends it was Hobby and Biggs Darklighter that left the empire together. So it's kind of like wedge took Biggs's role in this. And honestly, I really enjoyed it. This was a very Sabine eccentric role. And I think this was probably one of the best non Jedi centric episodes we've had to date. I actually really like this episode because it was centered about Sabine. It was good. Do you know who wedge is? Because I was talking to Pharaoh about it and he didn't really understand the importance of who Wedge was in the original trilogy. Not really. I know that my dad was really excited, so I just played along with it, but I really didn't know who he was. I'm kind of I'm kind of stabbed here because yeah, Wedge Wedge had a huge role in Legends. Wedge went on to help create Rogue Squadron. Uh, he helped create Race Squadron. They were they were X-wing squadrons, which was usually about twelve or more pilots that would go on missions for the New Republic that were the spearhead of the New Republic's military campaign against the Empire. Uh, They were the front line. They were the point, the tip, the spearhead. Get it? Arrowhead. Okay, so anyway, 
So Wedge always had a role like that. He always had a very military-esque role. Now, in the books, which you haven't read, buddy, but you should, uh, Wedge has come back. He's got a bigger role in that. He's even been injured, uh, tortured, uh, almost crippled at one point, uh, which forced him to take a more general-type position uh, with the New Republic. So we're getting to see how he comes into the fold with the Rebellion here. And so that's why I was jumping up and down. I like this episode because, in fact, of it being in, about Sabine, I feel like it's giving a lot of details from Sabine's past, which I like a lot because uh, at the beginning of Star Wars Rebels and all, I didn't know very much about Sabine. I thought she was just like that really cool uh, <laughs> chick who can stand up for everybody that she loves and stuff. Uh, one moment they called her a Mandalorian. And I just really like that. There were so many things about this that, that intrigued me right out the gate. I mean, when we see all those A-wings blow up, you know, I mean, we, we lose six. And we paused it when we see the Rebel base. There are, what did we say there were? There were at least five of them left. So we don't know how many A-wings this Rebel cell has. But we, we do know that they're hurting for pilots, which I thought was interesting. Uh, we also see how the TIE Interceptors, uh, they still kept the traditional launch uh, platforms with them hanging up like bats dropping from the sky. That's something that we've seen three different ways that that's been illustrated. Uh, we learned that Fulcrum is a, a, a just an agent name, not just exclusive to Ahsoka. And I'm kind of I don't know about you, Baron and, and Pharaoh, uh, but I'm in the in the camp that this is Callus. I am pretty convinced that that was Callus's voice. I don't know about the rest of you guys. I never even thought it could be Callus. I thought it might be Bail. I didn't think about it the first time, but then when I was listening to it the, the second time, it sounds so much like Callus. Sabine was uh, in the TIE Fighter costume, which I think in these two episodes that we're talking about for this episode of Padawan's Perspective, I see a lot of opportunity for some killer toys. I think that's one thing that really bums me out when it comes to collecting toys, is that this show isn't better represented. You you still can't find all of the ghost crew to have them play and you can't even really find very many villains to have them play against. It's really hit or miss when it comes to the figures. We were definitely in a golden era when it was the clone wars, because we got really cool, super articulated three and three quarter figures, three and three quarter inch figures with the clone wars line. And we got, you know, every major character, even them in disguises and, and stuff like that. So not being able to find all of the characters in the line now, and especially now that the articulation has gone down to five points, it's pretty sad, you know, pretty sad. And this is some of the best Star Wars TV ever. Well, it was really cool to have it be pot, uh, TIE Fighter eccentric in a lot of ways. You know, when we see that freighter show up at the beginning and it drops the TIE Interceptors off the front, really cool touch. When we see them training... They are actually in tie pods for their simulators, which at first I was like, well, that doesn't make sense because what if you wanted to do like a Lambda class shuttle? That's not going to work. But then I was thinking about it. I'm like, no, this is like Top Gun. I mean, even the one character, like he was totally designed after Tom Skerritt from Top Gun. Like, so it was kind of cool that they had that aspect as well. We see the tie pilot uh, when the uh, rebels are trying to escape and they hit the button and the tie's wings pop off. You know, that was cool in the aspect of 
that's something that the toys have done for a long time. But I never realized it actually was a function of the ship itself. I thought it was a very classy way of really leaving them stranded. And it worked to ramp up the action in the story at that moment. Who's the guy with the yellow stripes on his shoulder and the helmet? Who's him? The guy, see, that's the guy that I was saying was like Tom Skerritt. I want to say uh, his name is even similar to it. Uh, let me see if I can look it up. It is Volt Skerris. Um, and, and yeah, so, uh, he was like their elite commander. He was the one that was telling Sabine to fire on the, uh, the, the disabled freighter. And she was like, is that the test going against Imperial code? It's kind of, see, and that was kind of deep on a whole nother level too. I don't know if you guys, you younger guys were uh, catching that. His name is scare us. Right. And he's like a military guy, tie pilot. Obviously he's one of the best because he's teaching these tie pilots, but did he scare you? He seemed like, he didn't really scare me, but he just seemed like, like if you were around him, he'd be a tough guy to work with, and he seems like a strict person. Yeah, he didn't seem very evil to me. He kind of just seemed like he was doing his job. And I think that's one of the things that, one of the themes that are going on with the Empire is when I was a kid and I was watching the Empire, you think the whole Empire is evil. And it seems like more and more it's just people who are going about doing their job and you kind of see how they can defect to the rebels once they think that they're honorable and they find out that some of the things they're doing are not so honorable. And now you got Callus who is doing some pretty crazy things now, right? You think he's, he's fulcrum. You know, he let the crew go and I was trying to explain to Pharaoh... Remember, you know, he was with Zeb and they were on that island. It was kind of like enemy mind type of thing. And now he's let them go. That is a big step for Callus. Huge step for Callus. See, I think I disagree with you on Scaris. Scaris had, there was an evilness to Scaris. When he wanted to blow, you know, have the, uh, the recruits blow up that Imperial freighter that was completely helpless. I think that illustrated why the Empire needs to be stopped. And stop them, the rebels are trying to do. Sabine goes undercover, right? You just mentioned that she's in the TIE Fighter outfit. We've seen TIE Fighters before, but now we're getting a lot of close-ups. And, and the way that they captured the TIE Fighters in fighting mode, the way they're kind of leaning to the side and everything, it really felt like original trilogy to me. It really did. And the way how in the dog fights, when the A-Wing fighter blows up, the pilot kind of gets hit from the back and comes forward. I mean, we've seen that in countless Star Wars movies. So they're really catching the feel of a Star Wars dogfight in space. Kind of like maybe how the Clone Wars didn't have that feel. They, they didn't seem like too bad of people. They seem like general, just like they, they want to get out of here kind of people rather than... The dark side, raise me, and, and I belong to the dark side. And they seemed like they actually wanted to get out. You brought up a good point about Fulcrum. We knew Fulcrum as Ahsoka. Did you like the fact that Fulcrum's image or Fulcrum's symbol is basically Ahsoka's symbol? We've known Ahsoka for a really long time now. and Another place that we're seeing Ahsoka's symbol, is that Ahsoka's symbol supposed to be on Kanan's mask? You know, they kind of look like the eyes. They kind of remind me of, of what was on yeah. Rex's armor, yeah. right? The Mandalorian Jan guys. Um, that's yeah, that's something that came in through Clone Wars. Rex was definitely the one that really brought that forward. That's a Filoni at work uh, thing there. But why would you think Kanan would be wearing that on his eyes? What what what's 
does that symbolize for him? I thought it was Ahsoka's markings. Maybe war. I have no clue. <laughs> I'm just like I don't. I don't really know where he's going with his dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you know either. It jumped out to me though was was when right before we discovered that they were in the pods, uh, you know, the hologram pods and stuff, and doing the simulation. I thought that it was re- legit. I thought we were watching Sabine shoot down fellow rebels. And then we watched the ghost come in and shoot her. And for a moment, I was like, oh, my God, she got shot down by her own crew. But what was more disturbing was when we came back and we found out it's in a simulator. And then I realized the Empire has got the ghost in their simulators. They are training against the ghost at this point. Uh, And and that's something that's even picked up in the next episode, too, that really started to, to weigh on me. Like, you know, this crew's days rebelling could be numbered. You know, they are really under the focus of the Empire at this point. Which begs the question, when they pick Sabine to go undercover instead of Ezra, they say to Sabine, you're the least recognizable of all of us. Only second to Jabba the Hutt, a.k.a. Ezra. (laughs) There was an interesting thing. When Sabine introduces Wedge and Hobby to the rebellion leaders, she's like, this is Wedge and Tilly's, and this is uh, Hobby. And I laughed really hard at that because that's kind of an inside joke, okay? Hobby's character has died a few different times in canon, has been resurrected in Legends. Uh, the EU would bring him back. He's had multiple body parts uh, replaced through different stories. But he was Derek Hobby Cavillian. And at this moment, all we know him as is Hobby. So, like, really the whole Derek Cavillian thing could totally be lost. But I just thought it was so funny that that was – she's like – I. I so hobby, like uh, yeah, hobby, because for hobby, this story didn't really change too much. I mean, this is his backstory to a degree. He came from the empire. Uh, he was an elite pilot. Uh, in fact, his story in Legends is in Star Wars Empire, the Darklighter story, which tells Biggs Darklighter's tale. He, uh, Derek, was a commander of the Rand Eclipse when they rebelled. And at the moment, you know, it went down, Biggs didn't realize that Hobby was also part of the rebellion. They were just two different cells working on the same ship. It was a really fun story, but this echoes it in a lot of ways. Would that electric machine kill someone like the torture machine? When it would go through someone's neck, would that actually kill someone? That, I, I, I honestly think yes. I think that machine, its purpose is to torture, to hurt, to inflict pain and violence. I would think there's got to be a setting where it's going to be really high. I loved their, like, their argument, how uh, the one chick was saying how Imperials had taught her well to fight and stuff and then Sabine said her crew taught her to fight well and it kind of just back and forth and then she shoved her into the electronic thing. Governor Price can throw them dogs can't she? But I always forget that Sabine is a Mandalorian because she's not the typical gruff Mandalorian you know she's kind of still like the girly girl but she's a Mandalorian. She's from Clan Vizsla okay Nightwatch. So she yeah, can fight. Not the type of Mandalorians you'd want to find in a back alley. <laughs> no, uh-uh. So Sabine can get down, you know? And we're going to find out a little bit more about her backstory, about her Mandalorian backstory, and pretty much find out maybe who trained her, who she's actually related to. A lot of people think Satine. A lot of people think she may be Bo-Katan's daughter and named Sabine after Satine, after her sister. So... 
it's gonna be interesting to see where Sabine goes from here. On my notes, it says when Sabine got out, got the guys out. They were on their way out, and there was a guy standing there, and she's like, uh, "Why are you helping us?" Yeah, and then she, he said, "I don't know. I don't remember what the name was, but he, like, it wasn't even. Uh, it said." Tell someone we're even. Yeah, yeah, it was Zarelius, which is Zeb for short. So he's the alien on the crew. That's what, what Barrett was telling Pharaoh earlier. They had had a conversation about that beforehand, which we hadn't. And they had an earlier episode of Rebels where the two of those were stranded on a planet, and Zeb kept callous a lot. And so this is his way of repaying it, which is why I think, I think Zeb has – there's a, a bond there between Callus and Zeb – that has allowed Callus to open his eyes to what's going on. And he is, I think he's come over to the side of the rebellion. I think he is a fulcrum agent. I don't know how long he may have been one, but I do think that this episode was him sending the ghost crew there. I, I think it was, it was too perfect a coincidence that they were tipped off just hours before he showed up. And when things got dark and heavy, he let him off the hook. You know, you might have a point there. When you first had said that, Callus could be Fulcrum because he knew about Fulcrum. It it might make sense, you know. He is there are signs there besides him letting them go, but before he let them go, there were signs there when Sabine says they got somebody to do your job and he doesn't say anything. You know, when we first get introduced to Grand Admiral Thrawn and Governor Price, Callus makes a remark that they killed a lot more civilians than rebels. Uh, now you see me. Mark Ruffalo's character. You know, I mean, Callus is the perfect place to be that character. And Sabine's comments about, oh, we finally found someone to do your job. I mean, you know, the governor getting taken out for Callus, if, if Callus is working for the rebellion at this point, that's a perfect thing for him. And who knows? I mean, maybe it was his his destruction of Zeb's people that made him decide that, you know, maybe maybe things aren't that so good. But I, I kind of want to say that it was when him and Zeb were left alone. I want to say that was the turning point. I remember feeling that then when I watched that episode. Yeah, and it showed him in his quarters kind of rethinking his life. You know, he didn't want to smoke those death sticks anymore. <laughs> you know, the mission was to get two. And whenever um, Sabine picked up three pilots, I already knew. I just predicted it. Like, they only need two. One of them's going to die. And then, like... Three minutes later, boot, one of them died. I, I called it. I knew it. Justice knew that... for Rake. <laughs> I knew yeah. that just if they needed two pilots, if they got three, one of them was going to die. Now, that was something that kind of led to me, too. I was thinking the same thing. Like, do you guys think maybe they should have had more pilots wanting to defect, like four or five, so that it wasn't just two that made it? Because the Rebels are really hurting really bad. You know, I think they got all they could, you know, in the short amount of time because kind of Sabine kind of just sprung it on him. I can get you out, you know, meet me here at this certain time. So they kind of had to work quick. And who can you really trust in the Empire? You know, I, I've i said it before, guys. I'm a huge Ezra and Sabine shipper. I would love to see them have a date oh, down no. the road. Yes. So, so I, I really felt like this episode kind of worked. Uh, you know, that little sparkle in, in Sabine's eye when she looks towards Ezra. I think Ezra was provided opportunities to worry for her and provide support for her and backup for her in the way that she as a Mandalorian would be accustomed to. And I think that, that 
the the writers of this did a good job in the aspect of they used that to also further the story for him with Kanan being able to take the opportunity to really be a Jedi master to him through this, you know, explaining to him that there are situations that you are going to be completely helpless. Things are going to be completely outside of your control. And, and this is more for you three than it is for me and Barrett, because we've been there. Uh, you will find that as you're growing up through your teenage years, especially you're going to be more helpless than any other time in your lives. And you'll be more, you'll be more aware of that than ever before. So that was a, a theme that really jumped forward to me. And I was wondering if that might've been something that you guys ever thought about. I have a feeling if no matter like, no matter what people say, if they want that or not, it's going to, it's probably going to happen because almost every episode is kind of leaning towards them um, caring for each other and whenever they go on solo missions. So I think that's just going to happen. I don't really know how I feel about that happening. I mean, like, eh. So you're thinking you want it to stay harmless flirtation? I think no, because remember what happened with Anakin and um, the one girl? And um, he fell to the dark side because of that. And Ezra's almost, like, gotten to the dark side really easily. And if that happened, he might have, like, he might turn to the dark side, like, fully. Holy Sith, Gavin, you point out something that I hadn't thought about. No, you're right. You're right. Ezra is definitely in a worse position than Anakin was. And the temptations of love could be too much for him because we, well, you know, Kanan did illustrate he, he needed to be there. I mean, could you imagine how much worse Ezra might have responded to that situation had Kanan not been there telling him, hey, we got a bail? I mean, I, I, for a moment there, I thought for sure Sabine was doomed because they left her. I was like, oh my God, they, they actually left her. I don't, I don't think that's something Ezra could have done without Kanan being there. I think you're right. I think your Padawan has hit it right on the nail because Ezra is a lot younger than even Anakin was when he met Padme for the second time and kind of fell in love or they kind of say he was always in love, but he wasn't able to court her till he was what, 16, 17? How old was Anakin? 17 at that point right yeah. ezra's 14 right so and he's been messing with the sith holocron so he's a lot closer to the dark side and he has a lot more he has a lot more experience with the dark side put in a a, a female that could break your heart or you could worry about dying like anakin was worried about padme and that is a recipe man he's on a fast track to somewhere and they really have not dealt with the ramifications of all the time that he was dealing with that Sith holocron. We really don't know the length of time, but I gotta say, open the six hol the, that Sith holocron once or twice, and you're doing some damage. Yeah, he definitely learned some things as we learned a few episodes back. So it's it's how deep was he reaching into that well of knowledge? You know, and at the same time, they're kind of playing with the relationship between Ezra and Sabine. Kind of how they're playing with the relationship between Hera and Kanan. Like, Hera will call Kanan honey and sweetie and give him hugs and stuff, but you really have never seen them kiss. There's never been any kind of romantic thing between them. When, when you work with somebody, so, I mean, so, you know, I work down at Subway, and my manager and I, we have worked together for seven and a half years now. Out of all of my area subways, we're the only two employees that have worked together that long. And my wife and her both joke about the fact that she's my work wife because she'll, you know, send me home with some presents, some extra cookies, that kind of stuff. Call me up when I'm sick, make sure I'm okay, that kind of stuff. 
And there's, you know, just genuine affection, nothing else beyond that. And that's always what I always thought of when it came to Hera and Ezra, because at first you naturally think there's something more there, but they've gone out of their way to never go beyond just the subtle little words and stuff, the simple little gestures, like a hand on the shoulder, those type of things, which are all the things that was something that you could see somebody that works together and gets really close together doing without crossing those other types of lines. Are you blind? The man has three wives. <laughs> <laughs> it's old uh, Doug Heffernan joke. Definitely think that Hera is more into Canaan than Canaan is into Hera. That's what it feels like to me. Just like how kind of Ezra is more into Sabine. But at least if they're going to do it like this, I like it better than kind of, you know, when we first saw Ezra flirting with Sabine, he's kind of, oh, shucks, you know, and kind of thing like that you know now he's this kind of jedi i like the, i'm not so much opposed to it anymore because he looks older you know he looks about 14 or 15 he's kind of slimmed out he cut his hair he doesn't look like a kid well um maybe since kanan's older um he knows not to like actually fall in love with tara because he knows what it might do to him and stuff so He's not, like, really in love with her like Anne and Anakin was with Padme. So he, he paid more attention to the rules than the dogma of the Jedi, and that's yeah, Kevin's nodding figures. Yeah, yeah, that's it, that's it. He's a rule follower. Okay, okay. I, I can see that working. And it's best kind of stay away from Hera now, because as we see in the second episode that we're going to talk about, she doesn't make good decisions all the time. So let's go ahead and get into that second episode, and let's have the official synopsis from the iTunes site. Hera's Heroes is the fourth episode of the third season. When the Empire occupies Hera's home, she decides to personally recover a family heirloom, but a new Imperial commander named Grand Admiral Thrawn is waiting. Dun dun dun. Mm-hmm. How cool would it be to have a Blurg to ride? Huh? Don't you want a Blurg? Definitely. I'd, I'd want a Blurg. I think I'd uh, want to ride a Tauntaun more than a Blurg, but it'd still be cool to ride on <laughs> a Blurg. It's like a mix between a T-Rex and a Piranha, and it looks deadly, and, it, and it's fast. Now, this is the second time we've seen a Blurg. The first time we saw a Blurg, we saw it in the Clone Wars when it was the Battle of Ryloth, where... Captain Sindula, which is Hera's father, was in a battle of Ryloth with Mace Windu, and they were riding these creatures. Do you remember that? So this is the second time we're getting a different character. Well, this is another time that we're getting a different character design from Filoni, from characters that they've created. And I think the Blurgs were a little bit skinnier. They look like they've been eaten very well since the Empire have <laughs> occupied <laughs> Ryloth. Oh, no fast i mean you think about those speeder bikes and the speeds the speeder bikes travel and the speeds that speeders travel the fact that those things were keeping ahead of those you know they didn't look like they were going that fast but when you stop and you think about how fast that those things travel the velocities those things travel they were moving now we've seen these speeder bikes and the scout troopers from return of the jedi right now we're seeing them in a desert location and we're finally getting speeder bikes and scout troopers because up until now We've gotten a lot of speeder bikes, and we've gotten a lot of troopers, but they weren't the scout troopers. I think it's cool to bring back troopers from past movies and 
put them on their original vehicles or originally what they were riding on. I think that's cool. And that's a cool addition to the show. And to see him being operated in an environment where we normally didn't see him because before they're kind of having to dodge trees. Now they're in this open desert world. They're in just a straight path, basically. Yeah, straight line. So they should be extra fast, right? Yeah, I wouldn't want to ride one of those on Endor. It's like the hardest level on Battlefront. I'm like bouncing off every third tree. Oh, easy on Battlefront. Oh, yeah, it's because you've got the awesome dexterity of a Jedi. <laughs> it took me two times, and then the like second time I was able to do Hose you all in, in, in Dathom or Witch Magic Fluid. I... God, I cannot play that to save my life. One of the things I like, though, about the armor uh, Jam and them were wearing, did that look like it might have been some of Boyle's armor or some of the 414th or 441st uh, Kenobi's group's armor? I thought the exact same thing because when I – and I didn't think that until I saw Numa because we all know Numa is the little girl from the Clone Wars in that episode where – what yep. was it? It was Boyle and and – and Waxer, right? And Waxer had saved Numa. That might have been Boyle and Waxer's armor. I think you might be right. Which is kind of sad and kind of awesome at the same time. So that begs to differ whatever happened to Boyle and Waxer. Well, we knew that Boyle, Boyle was killed yeah, by Boyle was killed. Uh, Pong Krell. Pong Krell had the, the 501st uh, shoot him up. They shot each other up in the fog there on the uh, darkness of uh, that Umbar planet. Oh, man, what a great episode that was. Yeah, that was a killer arc. How awesome is it that Filoni is, keeps bringing back these characters, another design. We've seen Numa before, but she really didn't have any speaking roles. She's kind of got this cool armor on now. Her Leku looks very awesome. Have you noticed that the Leku in Rebels... Basically, all the different Leku has a different design or a different texture on it, and they don't look like solid colors. So she looked really cool. Sindula looks really cool. But I gotta ask you, is it strange that Hera doesn't have sharp, pointy teeth like the rest of the her clan, her people? Why does she have straight teeth? Do you think she went to a dentist and got dentures? Hmm. Dental implants? <laughs> Ventures. She was one of those people that was like, in order to get ahead in this galaxy, I must do something to make my appearance a little less threatening to the humans. She probably had some some lightsaber surgery on her team. <laughs> <laughs> Cut him down. Maybe that was a prerequisite for Kanan getting with her. Listen. Oh, would always tell uh, me, because I would always say my teeth were crooked and stuff a couple years ago. She would always tell me to use a spoon to straighten my teeth, because that's what she did. And my grandpa did it. And so she's like, why don't you just use a spoon? She kept on making me, uh, every couple days, use a spoon right before <laughs> I was about to eat. It was the most annoying thing ever. So are you maybe suggesting that on Ryloth that the tradition is to sharpen your teeth? And she was like, I'm not using a spoon. I'm leaving. A Padawan learns many skills. I like it when um, Hera said she pulled Chopper out of that Y-wing that her dad brought and stuff from the Clone Wars. Yes. Like yes, Gavin. That moment made me tear up. Uh, now, Pharaoh, I don't know about you. My kids, I've, I've mentioned it, I know, in passing. On Rebels Roundtable, I came up with a theory that Chopper is a war veteran. Uh, he's got replacement limbs that are not his own. Uh, you know, we saw episodes of Rebels where he was trying to get replacement limbs that would make him a little more whole again. 
we knew that he was pulling out of some wreckage from the Clone Wars and that Herod put him back together. But we now kind of see kind of like the gravesite of his buddy, you know, uh, Luke and R2 kind of scenario. You know, Chopper was somebody's astromech before that crash. And even though Hera's dad, Cham, left that Y-Wing there for Chopper, that was huge. I mean, that was like going to one of the, the, the monuments and stuff, you know, like that moment for me, that choked me up way more than I thought a little droid could in this show. Chopper will have feelings because he's a living thing. Well, I mean, he's he's a droid, you know. He's got past that point. He's got he's got enough spirit and spunk to be uh, classified as alive. There were some really fun moments here when the scout trooper was able to whip his speeder bike up and get into the ghost. And seems like you didn't think this through. <laughs> I had a good laugh at that. And of course, you know the moment where he's like, "Hey, do you have this armor?" And Ezra's was like, "No." Yeah, he said, like, "You don't have this." Knocks him out. Sorry. And of course, I was kind of bummed because by the end of the episode, Ezra loses that helmet. I'm like, oh man, that was such a cool little outfit. In every other episode, the Rebels are going out, uh, dressing up, acting like they're they're one of them. Every other episode, they get they get another costume or they get they get a disguise. Oh, we need a toy. We just that's the other one. We we have Sabine in the last one. We've got him now. They actually put out the Kanan when Kanan was wearing the Stormtrooper one from last season. I, they've got to ramp up the toys. I mean, come on, you Padawans are begging for it, right? Yeah. When Hera was uh, standing in front of, I think it was his two stormtroopers, and then uh, Ezra came out and no, came out of the little side area and walked in front and like grabbed her. And, and what was great also about that was, of course, Grand Admiral Thrawn which was, you know, huge for me. I, I, I had a couple moments here where I was just like, oh, my God. And I think the actual use of the Kalori, I think I'm saying that right, the family history that, that she went to go and get, I think it was the best use, and Baron, I think you'll, you'll be able to really appreciate this more than anyone else here, of who Thrawn was in Legends. The aspects of how he could tactfully use art against someone and the way that they again introduced it into the story and used it in the story served that character so well to bring so many of the elements of of what we know of him from the books to life into canon Uh, i thought it was brilliantly done i did not expect to see thrawn in fact you when we first saw thrawn weren't you pretty excited like well look what is thrawn doing here all of a sudden yeah now they have their own planet you know the the dark side and to see Thrawn living on that it's kind of cool because you haven't seen him in a couple episodes and let's see what he's doing now all of a sudden he shows up he grabs I think it's called a Calicory after Hera is trying to escape Thrawn walks into the room doesn't know who Ezra or excuse me doesn't know who Hera is and just deduces it from the pictures on the wall the Calicory she has it was just awesome. And I love the fact that Thrawn actually respects Hera. And he wants to actually keep the Calicori as like a memento or something like that. Really cool. Because the last time we've seen a villain, a villain actually keep mementos was General Grievous. Right? He kept all of the lightsabers from all the Jedi he killed. And General Grievous was a, must, a mustache twirling villain. He wasn't really taken seriously. But Thrawn 
wants to keep this and put it in his in his own personal office. I thought that was absolutely cool. Keeping a keepsake from a enemy that you're about to conquer. Then after that, whenever Thrawn took the Kalakori from uh, Hera, he even said that I'll put this in a safe place uh, after he took it. I like it when um Hera said, I'm sorry. And then her dad said something. I don't, I forgot what he said. And then um she said, no, I'm sorry about the house and then it just blew up and the blue guy I forgot his name just let let him by when he was in the Star Destroyer. Yeah, you knew there had to be more to that. I think, you know, Barrett, when you were mentioning when Thrawn deduced who she was, that was the moment that I got really choked up. My eyes were damn near watering at that point. I mean, I, I said it earlier this episode, you know, these two episodes, the ghost crew has really come into the crosshairs of the Empire. And now Grand Admiral Thrawn knows these individuals. You know, he's put together who they are, who each one of them is, what makes up who they are. And he's already starting to break them down. I mean, I, I, I just I really come away with the ramification that their days in the rebellion are numbered. They're going to have to go to ground. They're going to have to. Oh, was it Shattered Empire? Uh, Poe Dameron's parents. They ended up leaving the rebellion and settling and raising Poe. And Poe later ends up joining the New Republic. But that was what happened with them was was eventually it was like it got too hot for them. And they were told, hey, you're going to have to go and, and you know, you're, you're too hot. And I think like Pharaoh said earlier, you know, they keep going on these undercover missions. And now we're at that point where they're they're busted, man. You can't go into these places and not be recognized. Grand Admiral Thrawn is like if Sherlock Holmes joined the Empire, you know, it's that much of a threat that he can figure out how 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 to get you. One of the my favorite parts of this episode is where Grand Admiral Thrawn is taking the Calicory, locks Hera up, and General or Captain Slavens, I think his name is Slavens. Slavens. Captain Slavens. Tells Thrawn just to throw away that trash. You know, it, what are you keeping it for? It's just a bunch of trash. And Thrawn grabs him by the shirt. And is just so angry. And, and you can just see the anger in his red eyes. And that's the Thrawn I've been waiting for. You know, I was kind of complaining that Thrawn, his voice is kind of really mellow. And he seems kind of, you know, not so evil. And he's just too much. He's like a vampire, man. Like a vampire could be calm one second, the next thing they're tearing out your throat. And I like the fact that they gave him that kind of Bruce Banner Hulk personality where he's just always angry underneath. You were expecting that though? I was not expecting it, no, but I liked it. I was not expecting it. It was a great surprise. When he did that, when he did the hiss, I was like, holy crap, there's a feral element to him. Like, I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be something new to all Chiss or just to him. Like, it totally had that Spock moment of like, oh, you Vulcans have some violent emotions you guys keep in check. One of the things I liked was that Thrawn's, uh, like, personal helper, Captain Slavins, had said, how did you know that? Ezra was going to jump out and he said that the rebels always come to each other's aid. And so it's like that they're getting used to them and following all their tricks and stuff. So they, they have to start watching their backs because they're it's like they're studying them. 
throughout these two episodes, it seems that they're really on the rebels because you know they tra- the pot the training pods train off of the ghost, and they know they already know that the rebels are gonna bring somebody with them, and they th- they're getting used to them, so the rebels have to watch their backs. They know. The Empire is looming over them. And I think that Thrawn had a lot to do with the A-Wings and the Ghosts being inserted into the training pods because Governor Price was there. So Governor Price is Thrawn's right-hand woman. So I think Thrawn is molding the Empire's response to these rebels with his own tactics. I mean, to the point where he lets them go. The recovery mission turns into a rescue mission and Kanan and crew come out to rescue Hera and Ezra and Thrawn lets them go he says they've earned this reward and he did that before Ezra started to pull out his gun and um Admiral Thrawn just like pulled out his gun and shocked him but that was a really cool gun that he had, and he pulled it out so fast. So fast. Yeah, he's so quick. Now, another thing I loved was when Chopper found all the detonators in the device, and his diabolical laughter. I was like, oh, here we go. He's going to light this place up. You know, that was a great moment. And then there at the end, when we see, right before we go inside the ghost, we see the ghost parked outside on Ryloth. It was a great shot of the ship just parked there. One of those, you know, every now and again, this show really does a good job with the space shots and the outer shots of the ship that almost look photorealistic. And that one was great. Uh, And another thing, too, was we also saw Sabine flying the ghost, which I don't think we've seen her actually helming the ship, but maybe one other time, if that. So I thought that was kind of cool. And the fact that Cham... Uh, you know, he was willing to throw everything away that he's been working so hard for to get his daughter back because he knows that his daughter is a suitable replacement for him as a leader for the rebellion cell that's there on Ryloth. Because that, that was one of the things, you know, at this point in that story, Cham is a big leader in the rebellion. Even though it's not the rebellion proper, his cell is no laughing matter. And the fact that he's willing to turn his back on all of that and let his daughter take over just to make sure she's safe and that her freedom's secure. I thought that was a great father-daughter moment. And I think he realizes that not only can she take over his place if need be, but she is more, more important to the actual overall rebellion than he is. I mean, she's dealing with Fulcrum or Fulcrums. She's dealing with the leaders of the quote-unquote rebellion, of the main heart of the rebellion you know he's a cell they have other cells out there but she's actually in the leadership of the rebellion so she is actually more important than he is and i think he realized that you know and i think that was a great thing to sacrifice because when we first got introduced to cham wasn't he willing to sacrifice Hera for his plan and now he's come full circle and he realizes that no he's going to sacrifice himself and I think that is a great, great story arc for him. I think last episode, like last week, um, when they were held captive in like the break room place on the ghost, how it showed the mini stormtrooper heads in the top right corner of the ghost. I really like how they do that where um, on some ships in the Clone Wars, it had like little sh- um, enemy ships and enemy heads that they had that 
how, like how many they've killed and stuff. I really like that. It's cool. Yeah, the ghost has a couple little ones on the outside of it, as does the phantom, signifying that they're the ghost crew, which is, you know, that is something that comes up, too. They are the ghost crew, you know. It, it almost has a Wild West sound to it, you know. The Empire's looking for the ghost crew. They can never be found. They're the ghost crew. A bunch <laughs> of specters in the night, the ghost crew. But, you know, Baron, you were the one that was saying earlier, you know, Thrawn letting them go and why. And... The idea of the fact that, that now that Thrawn knows about him, they're in the crosshairs, he lets him go. That seems to me to be the only reason why this show could possibly last two more seasons. I, I, I'm At this point, they're like so in the crosshairs, I can't see the show going more than one season unless Thrawn keeps casting a net and he lets them go because he's trying to catch a bigger fish. He's not trying to catch the ghost crew. But he recognizes that the ghost crew is a linchpin, a shatter point, for you Legends fans, a shatter point in the Rebellion at this point. And if he can use that and exploit that, he may be able to take out the Rebellion. Because Thrawn, across the board, the character, has always been about securing the stability of the Empire. He has been a Empire-first kind of guy. And when he came back in Legends... It was after Palpatine was dead, and he came back to resecure the Empire and to wipe out the Rebellion once and for all so the Empire could survive because he knew it wasn't going to survive with the New Republic alongside it. Um, Every new episode that I see, I always, like, since it's so intense and stuff, I always think, like, someone that's, like, a main character is going to die or something. That's why I'm always, like, shocked to see the new episodes. And that is a great point, Gavin, because these rebels do not show up in episode four. Where do they go? You know, they any one of these characters can die at any moment because they're not around in the original trilogy. Well, and when you it's think like about Game it, of Thrones, you're right. We watch Kanan leading a military group. Kanan with his lightsaber branded and, and slashing up against Thrawn's forces. I mean, Thrawn's now engaged a Jedi actively. That that's just it, it's set a time clock in motion here. Their days are numbered. How whether often? they're going to get killed or they're just going to tuck tail and disappear, they can't be operating for long with him on the hunt. Another great scene in this episode was when Kanan is out there with his lightsaber. He is more confident blind as a blind Jedi master than he ever was with two eyes. He gets out there. He's twisting his lightsaber around. He's running sideways. They really, Filoni and crew are really, and the animators are really doing a good job at portraying him as blind. He doesn't look at people when he's talking to them anymore. He... When he runs and he's fighting, he doesn't have to look necessarily look at the people he's fighting. They have one scene where he's running sideways and he's just deflecting the laser bolts, the blaster bolts with his lightsaber, and he doesn't even have to look at him. Why does he have to look if he can't see? I mean, he can feel it. And then he uses the awesome Jedi power of deflecting that missile back at the ATST, ATCT, ATSE, ATSE. And blowing it up. I mean, how cool is Kanan now? I mean, he is a Jedi Master. I'm finding myself really rooting for him and putting him up there with the other Jedi we know. And I didn't yeah. feel like that before he got blind. 
No, I, I think by losing his sight, it gained him a focus. I think for him, his sight was one more thing in a larger series of things going on in his life that was distracting him. Uh, he would he would allow himself to get distracted by things. And by losing that, it allows him to focus on things in a way he never could before. And because he's a Jedi, it allows him to focus in a way that allows him to see more than he's ever seen before through the Force. A way that he can trust the Force than he's never been able to do before. Because for the first time in his life, he has nothing but to trust in the Force. I liked both of these episodes. I liked how the first one was uh, based more on Sabine and then how the second one was based on Hera and her her background. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed these two episodes. I liked them. They were good. They were about the girls, not the boys this time. Well, that, that's something that is, is interesting to hear from a boy. I mean, usually you wouldn't think the boys would be okay with that, but they make strong female heroes, wouldn't you say? Usually, oh, every, in like every episode, it's about... Ezra, Kanan. The second episode, the one that focuses on um, Hera's background and how she wants to get the, the what's it called? Calic Calicory. <clears throat> how she wants to get the Calicory. I thought that episode it it was so useless for the for the rebels. It was just, it was like he, she there was no progress made. You know she. She tried to get the Calicory, boom, it got taken away. They went home. She realized that her friends were the most important thing, and her home blew up. But it's like that that made no progress in the series besides for, for Thrawn. Absolutely right. The only thing that them going after that Calicory did was give Thrawn more information to defeat them. You're absolutely right. Yeah, that was definitely Hera's mistake. I think what it served in that purpose was... It illustrated how far the rest of the crew would go for her. It also shows how she has come as a leader. And she recognizes she made a mistake, that she let her emotions get the best of her, and she had no idea who was going to be playing in, in this game of chess. And once she realized who it was, she realized what a mistake it was. But I think that it was a deep moment because, Ezra said, you know, it doesn't matter because it was important to you. And if it's important to you, it's important to us. And I think that's that's again getting at the heart of the Star Wars story, the family story. That it doesn't always have to be the family that you're born with. You know, like like she says when she blows up the house, you know, the ghost is my home. You know, I mean these people that I'm I'm choosing to be with, that I've chose to make my family, you know, they are equally important to me as my father is, you know. Uh so like I, I think that that's what this really served. I, I agree with you though that I don't think it, it served much in the greater scheme of the rebellion. Uh, the Sabine episode, I, I think that that one really, it, it did a lot for the overall story. I really felt that one was a very strong episode. Probably one of the best episodes that we've gotten that doesn't center around the Jedi themselves. Uh, the Sabine one, I, I I did enjoy it, but I, while I felt like what they did with Thrawn and, and the use of the art to play this story, I didn't feel like he was that big of a threat. I had that moment where I teared up when he was breaking her down and I was thinking, you know, this, this could come, this could be it. This could be, you know, the final null. And he kind of hints at that later, but I want something like, you know, Oh my God, it's Thrawn. Oh my God, Thrawn's on them. 
uh, almost like Prison Break season two with Mahoney just on the brothers' butts every episode. I mean, I want something like that. This is Grand freaking Admiral freaking Thrawn. Um, I can still remember that, like back to the first episode ever of Star Wars Rebels where Hera did—I mean Ezra didn't even know any of them—and now. Just like the relationship between all of them is really awesome. Yeah, you you like the fact that Zeb will punch out a scout trooper to get his bro uh, some armor. That was pretty cool. <laughs> the first episode was definitely, definitely a great episode. It gives us a lot of backstory. We got to see how the Empire runs their training for their TIE fighters. How easy it is to get caught up in an Empire trap. You know, if they know you're, if they know you're coming, it, it was great. It was a great episode. I like seeing Sabine kicking butt as a Mandalorian and really accepting her Mandalorian heritage. And to have Wedge come through, it's great. Now Wedge could be a central character in this series. Now, you know, it seems like whenever they bring somebody back in, we get to see him over and over and over again. No, and that actually makes a lot of sense when you think. You know, when we see A New Hope, we're really seeing Bale's cell. And this cell is basically becoming Bale's cell to a degree as well. Maybe this is the beginning of the transition where we start to see the X-Wings come in more. Uh, you know, maybe we see Wedge is part of the group that goes and steals the X-Wings. I mean, that could even be one of the things. I, I think that's, that's a really cool aspect of them moving Wedge in the way they did. I mean, it, it feels like now Wedge will be in the Rebellion earlier than he was before i don't that's something more of a nate timeline issue as far as the second episode is concerned man seeing thrawn going back to ryloth seeing that hera was born with a silver spoon in her leku up to this point she's always been the rock and the heart and always making the good decisions and always kind of wagging her finger at people when they're making bad decisions she finally makes a bad decision and it costs them it's a very good growing point for Hera. These two episodes by themselves are great episodes. Back to back are even better episodes. So, I mean, I, I have no complaints so far this season. I think Filoni and crew are doing a really good job. And I cannot wait until the next episode comes on. Yeah, they've definitely raised the game. Uh, the story has put us in a good spot, guys. I think uh, we're in some special treats as the season moves forward. All right, so that wraps up this episode of The Padawan's Perspective. We'd like to thank everyone for coming on and enjoying the show with us and enjoying Star Wars Rebels. Uh, you can always find this episode and other episodes of The Padawan Perspective directly on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. So for The Padawan's Perspective, this has been Mark. Taylor. Gavin. Pharaoh. And Barrett. Saying, may the Force be with you and... Watch out for Order 66. <laughs> we still we still need our bumper sticker, don't we? I, I'm thinking that's a good one for Padawans. Watch out for Order 66. You know, I'm going to put it out there. If you guys have a good bumper, stick for it, bumper sticker for us, let us know on the Facebook page. And we Thank you for listening to our show. For more content, please like our Facebook and Twitter pages. Theme song by Subconscious Tunes. Announcements by Brock.
sponsored by War Machine Marketing. Remember, you can find the Padawan Perspective and all the Star Wars Report Second Airborne Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com.